We're doing a series called Selfie. You don't know what a selfie is. It's a self-portrait of yourself. Jen Marino, she loves selfies, don't you, Jen? She's the selfie queen. So if you want to take a selfie of yourself and tag it, uh, Elevate Miami Church, we encourage you to do that. And the point of the teaching is getting God's image, getting God's image for your new life. All right? Let's say it one more time. It's time to start. Wonderful. See how we work this out? We work this out in a meeting, and I'm like, you know, 10.30 is, or 11.30 is like so lively. You guys are like alive. You're like ready to rock, right? 11, 10 o'clock, we got to get them moving. We do some calisthenics and everything. 11.30, you guys are really, you're, you're buzzing. And so we were talking about like, how do we get the people back in the room? And somebody said, just say, it's time to start. And so there we have it. That's what's going on. But the purpose of this series is, is to understand, let's just say this together. I am created on purpose with a purpose. You are created on purpose with a purpose. Every single one of you will have an occupation in your life that will be something that you will have to do for money, that will put food on your table and a roof over your head and all of these other things. But you also have something over your life that's called a calling. So you have an occupation and you have something called a vocation, which is a vox. It's the Latin word voice. It's where we get the word voice from. And the idea of this is, that's why you feel like when you're working your job, you're like, man, if it wasn't for the money, I would not be doing this, because that's the purpose of your occupation, is to fund and fuel your vocation. Now, ultimately, the goal is to get, find out what your God has called you to do and be, and line that up, and hopefully it becomes your occupation, and then you have absolute perfect harmony, which is a wonderful world. But what we want to talk to you about through this series is putting pillars down in your life that enable, when you can understand and discover God's calling for you, these pillars are the things that enable the, 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 um, the, the, the calling not to just make itself known, but to be established. An easy way to understand that is you can see we have one, two, three, four, five. We have like six columns, seven columns, if you count that one over there, maybe. The six columns here. And if it wasn't for these columns, the upper level of this building wouldn't be there. Can we agree? The upper levels of your building that God is constructing, the second floor, the third floor, the high rise that he's desiring to construct and use your life to become is not possible unless you have pillars established. The upper level cannot be held up unless there are certain things in place in order for that to take place. And so what we've been talking about the last, four, last three weeks has been just not just the introduction, but week one we talked about dependency. Dependency. It is impossible to accomplish the purposes of God without dependency upon the Lord. It is impossible. It cannot be done. And just so you know, life itself is impossible without the Lord. You can accomplish a lot in human effort, but at the end of the day, life will show you that you don't have enough. There are going to be areas in your life where it is impossible for you to achieve anything without the Lord. That's right. You think he's kidding? He calls us into marital relationships. You don't know what you're doing. You think you do. Maybe you watched the last three years of Dr. Phil, so you think you got this thing zeroed, but there's going to be circumstances and situations that arise in your life that show you you can't do it. You have to depend upon the Lord. You have to look to the one who, was, who created marriage and created this whole idea, and you have to draw strength from him. And so let's just get a little bit bigger now. So then you're married and you have kids. 
okay? And what you will quickly learn is that children, you cannot raise children. Children, let's just say this, children cannot survive without your dependency upon the Lord because you actually want to kill these kids. You're like, what are you going to do? You know? <laughs> but God teaches you that you have to have dependency upon him to raise kids. And anyone who has multiple kids understands that the personality of your kids are completely different. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, child one, you just like this sweet little angelic thing, right? It just floats around the house, and you feel like you're super parent, right? When you really didn't have to put any work in at all because this child is just angelic by nature. <laughs> then you get child number two, right? Who wants to burn the kitchen down, right? This one's going off and going crazy, and you don't know what to do. Then it gets even better. As you raise children, they go through different stages of their lives. So what worked when they were five does not work when they are 10. What worked when they were 10 does not work when they're teenagers. What works when they're teenagers does not work when they're in their 20s. And yes, you continually are raising your children even into their 20s, I can assure you. And so what God teaches us is that we have to depend upon him. Our very biology itself tells us that we have to depend upon him. Your heart beats called involuntary. The only way you, you can't stop your heart, you can't control it, you're dependent upon the Lord that your heart would be. You're dependent upon the Lord to, that for an involuntary action that was created in you by design, not by evolution, by design. God designed you. And so you breathe in your breath. It, everything about us teaches us that we must be dependent. Dependency upon the Lord is not a bad thing. Let's just say this together because this is healthy. I am created... <laughs> To be codependent. Codependency is healthy as long as it's on Jesus. Okay? Codependency is not healthy when it's on other things or other people. Or, that's, when it's, that's when it breaks down. The reason we are codependent is because we are created to be codependent. The reason we are easily addicted is because we were created to be addicted. Addicted not to substances, addicted not to people, addicted to his presence. That's why this environment, man, you should be, that's why David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. As the deer pants for the water. What is he talking about? That sounds like addiction to me. That sounds like a pretty deep Jones. What is he jonesing for? What is he wanting? He is wanting the presence of God. So what I tell people is like, listen, these things are not, we fight these, 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 these things in our life. And yeah, you shouldn't apply them in these areas, but you should not fight it when it comes to Jesus. Addict yourself to him. Bind yourself to him. Draw life from him. Be codependent upon him. Call upon him morning, noon, and night. In the midnight hour, call upon him. Beat on his door. Follow him around town. Look for him. He likes it. He likes it. In case you don't know, he likes it. Read some of the parables and you'll see, wow, Jesus really likes this codependency thing. Yeah, he does. He's into it. It's like, follow me, man. When I'm at Starbucks getting my coffee, you'd, you'd be waiting there at my car. When you're my golden chariot, my flaming chariot, you'd be waiting there, right? You find me. You look for me. You knock on my door. You climb up my window. You look for me. He wants it. So you are allowed to be dependent, Christian. You are allowed you are permitted. You are called to be dependent. Jeremiah says, my people do not call on me days without number. What is he saying? I want you to call on me. I want you to look to me. Second one is integrity. That's the second pillar. 
This is all review. <laughs> Second one is integrity. That what you say and what you do line up. Never perfectly. That we integrate, ladies and gentlemen. I'm speaking to the believers in the room. That we integrate our faith into every area of our life. We integrate our faith into our marriage. We integrate our faith into our friendship, into our future, into our finances. Whatever it may be, our faith is integrated. That's what integrity looks like from that perspective. We're all that Christ is. He is integrated. Jesus isn't over here. He's involved. He is the paradigm through which all life is, is, is processed. Today we're going to talk about relational health, and then next week we're going to talk about effectiveness and excellence. So we're talking about relational health today. And all the women said, yes. All the dudes are like, oh, no, man, we're going to talk about relationships. Seriously, dude. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Any of you here that are in business, you're in finance, and you're familiar with a balance sheet, you'll know that there's such a thing as depreciating assets and appreciating assets. Assets are things that you own or possess, and they're depreciating means going down in value. Appreciating means, of course, going up in value. So there are things that we buy and we have in our life that are depreciating assets. As your car depreciates, even while we're sitting here, your car is depreciating, so you know, it is a depreciating asset. I've learned that my computer is a depreciating asset. My browser is no longer serviced by so many, you know, like, oh, your browser's too old. I'm like, what? What's going on with my browser, man? Depreciating asset. But there are things in our lives that are appreciating assets. Relationships, let's say this together. Relationships are appreciating assets, which means if you will invest in them, if you will invest in your relationship with the Lord, and you will invest in that relationship, and you will cultivate that, and you will take the time, and the intention, and the sacrifice, and the inconvenience that it takes to develop a relationship, and deepening your relationship with the Lord, it will pay dividends, and continue to go up. It's the same thing in your marriage. If you will invest, and take the time to cultivate it, and somebody said, marriage seems like work. Yes, it does. Marriage hurts. Yes, it does. It's supposed to. There's joy. There's peace. There's wonderful things in marriage. We all kind of get that idea, but there's also things that require us to work. We have to invest in our home. We have to invest in our relationship. We have to take margin. We have to do all of these things, but if you will invest in that, your marriage will appreciate. Your, your relationship with your kids will appreciate if you'll take the time. Your relationship with your friends will appreciate if you'll take the time. It's an appreciating asset. Relationships are gifts to us. Of all the things that God created, he said, it is not good for human beings to be alone. This is in the middle of God spinning planets on his fingers, throwing them out and going, oh, that's pretty good. Saying, let there be water. Up comes water. Let there be land. Let there be trees. Let there be light. All this stuff. And he looks at all that and goes, wow, this is really good. That's yeah, good. And so he creates humankind and he looks down at humankind and he says, it's not good that humans are alone. You're created for relationship. You are. We're not lone rangers. We're not crazy. People get all kind of weird. You ever see people that live by themselves? They get kind of weird. You know what I mean? Not to live by themselves, but are really isolating, I should say. Very uh, antisocial or isolate themselves from, you know, in these extreme ways. There's just something that there's just this dysfunction that starts to happen with them. Because you're not created to be alone. You're created to be in a community. You're created to be around other people. You're created to have family and friends and the church is to be a family. You're created to be known and to know. Good, bad, and ugly, words and all. And we're called to love each other in spite of that. Oh, happy day. <laughs> There's three areas of your life where relationships are really, 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 really important. We're going to talk about these three. 
relational health as it relates to your purpose and your destiny. If you don't have your relationships focused and right, I'm not going to say right, I'm going to say moving in the right direction because it's never 100% right, ever. Okay? I'd love it to be 100% right, but it never is. And so I've learned to accept what's not 100 but I learned to follow direction and not perfection. You have to have your life directed in these areas. If you don't, you're going to see destiny and purpose is going to collapse. The first is a relationship with the Lord, a relationship with Jesus. He calls you into a relationship, not a religion. What does the Bible have to say about that? In him you live, you move, and have your being. What does that mean? I don't know. That means a lot. In him you live, you move, and your very existence comes from him. Spirit of the human being, the spirit of the man and the woman is the candle of the Lord. We need that, the Lord's light to ignite that candle. Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. And this is what life teaches us. Life teaches us that we can't do anything without Christ, that we need him. And we have to have that dependency, that relationship ongoing with him. And it begins very simply. If you don't know Christ today, this is what it looks like. You have to acknowledge that you're lost if no one's told you you're lost, I'm here to tell you my name is Kevin and I'm your friend. You're lost. I can assure you you are. I can assure you this entire culture, this entire world has fallen. I can assure you of that. How do you know? Simply look at what we are. Look at what we produce. We're lost to who God is. Absolutely, totally lost. How do you know? Because we make up every God imaginable. If there isn't a God, we'll find one. You say, well, I'm God. There you go. You're going to find one. You'll, it'll be your car. It'll be your business. It'll be your relation. It'll be some area of your life. You'll find a God. You'll say, I believe God is this. I believe God is that. I don't believe there is any God. Well, who gave you that right? You're lost. You don't know who God is. It's not God as you understand him to be. Very important. It's God who he declares himself to be. Jesus doesn't give us the option to, to tell him who he is. He declares who he is to us. Read Genesis to Revelation. There is no explanation of God, only a simple declaration. In the beginning, God. Lo, I am coming and my reward is with me. He's not explaining anything. He's declaring. And he's inviting you to come to know him. But he's not making an effort to explain anything to you unless you want to know him. He does not cast pearls before swine. And we, in our arrogance, we think God needs to come down and explain himself to us. No, he doesn't. You need to submit yourself to him. And then, you'll, then we'll be revealed. Everything is veiled to you. The gospel is veiled. It is veiled to the perishing ones whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. You want to see? You give your life to Christ and he'll reveal all things to you. He'll give you the riches and the secrets of the kingdom only if you're humble. He owes you nothing. You're entitled to nothing. He gives it to you by grace. He invites you to come to know him by grace. He doesn't explain himself to us. We have to acknowledge that we're lost. We're lost to our environment. We're lost to our relationships. We can't figure that out. We don't know where we belong. We don't know how to steward the earth. We're lost. Lost to ourselves. You know, we're just constantly running around trying to find ourselves. We have to come to the point that we are completely and totally lost. Spiritually lost, economically lost, societally lost, socially lost, environmentally lost. I am lost across the board. Utterly hopeless and helpless. Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. When you know you're lost, the kingdom's yours. Jesus is the Savior. And so if I'm lost and there's one who created me, well, he must have the answers, and I got good news, he does. He has all the answers. He made you. He has a purpose for you. He'll show you why the world is as it is. He'll show you what the future holds. He'll give you power. 
It'll give you victory. The first step in relationship with Christ is acknowledging that you're lost, believing that Jesus is the Savior, not a Savior, the Savior. Very important understanding. Not one among many, one and only. Let's just say this together. Jesus is not one among many. He is the one and only. Come on. He is the one and only. The one and only. I believe there's many ways to God than Christ died in vain. That's what the Bible says. And it says the Christians are the most pathetic people on the earth if there's another way to God. There is no other way to God. The Father did not send His Son to be brutally murdered and die on a cross in open shame and be br brutalized in the manner that He did if there's another way. If it's all through good works, then why did Christ come? The Son of God clothed Himself in humility and glory, from, to leave glory and come down in humility, be beaten, brutalized, hang openly if there's another way. There is no other way. Without blood, the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. It requires the blood of the divine God to heal sin. There is no other type of blood that can heal sin. Only the blood of the divine God can heal sin. And so Christ became a man so he could heal our sin. We must believe that Jesus is the Savior. I didn't say understand it. There's nowhere in the Bible where it tells you to understanding. We seek understanding. But to come to Christ, you do not have to understand you simply must believe. And that's the dynamic of what goes on in your heart and what goes on in your head. Your heart's like, wow, this is really cool. I'm, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And your head's like, going, you want to what? What do you want to do? You know, this is crazy. What are you trying to say here? We believe in our hearts and we confess Christ with our mouths. And we enter into a lifestyle of following him. Salvation is not the end. It is only the beginning. Wow, come on. Salvation is not the end. Come on. It is only the beginning. Jesus told his church to make disciples, not converts. We'll just let marinate that for a second. What does that mean? Conversion doesn't mean anything? No, conversion means a lot because conversion is the first step of discipleship. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them to observe all things. That's what he told them. Those he's called us to follow him, to leave one way and take upon us and follow another way, not in our own power, but by the power of the Spirit. We are called into a kingdom lifestyle that is supernatural in nature, and it is defined by following Christ. We live from the kingdom culture as a Christian. This is what this relationship looks like. We understand what the kingdom is, the dynamics of the kingdom, and we make that known not only in our own lives but in the world around us. This is why Jesus says over and over again, this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Why is he saying that? Because we are of another kingdom. We are of another world. We are in the world but not of it. Does that make sense to you? And you say, well, I don't have that figured. That's, that's where the relationship thing comes in. That's where we relate to him. He says difficult things or he says general things and what he expects you to do is engage him in a relationship to understand the difficult thing that he said. Do, if you see how Jesus taught, I wanna show you how Jesus taught. Jesus would say these things that seem very general or very difficult to understand. Unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you have no part in me. And he stands there and stares at the crowd. That's it. And you know, not one person asked him a question. Not one person engaged him in a conversation. What does this mean? They all got offended. Oh, who is he? And they all walked away. And you know what they received? Zero. Nothing. You see him doing it with the disciples. 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they all start talking among themselves as if they could figure out what he just said. What's he talking about? I don't know. Is he talking? Maybe it's because we didn't bring enough bread. Jesus is like, I'm not talking about bread, man. You know? Then you see one guy named Peter. He'll say all these things, and Peter will literally go to Jesus and go, what does this mean? Where everybody else, when Jesus would say a hard thing, they would all kind of rock back and forth and go, yep, yep. City on a hill, that's what we are. Light in a room, yep. Peter would be like, what does this mean? Sowing seed in the field, yep. Some fell on good ground, some fell on other. The crows picked it up, and everybody's like, yep, yep, got that down, yeah. Got that figured out. But they were to engage him in a relationship through the wrestling within their own heart to find the spiritual meaning. He does the same to you. He puts enigmas in your life, mysteries. He calls and speaks things to you. And he expects you to engage him in a relationship that the meaning would be defined to you. It will not happen any other way. That's how it works. We're to wrestle through our hearts with him in a relationship. We're to wrestle through our hearts with him in a relationship. He'll tell you things. Love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. Here's what we do. Oh, yeah. Just like Christ loved the church. Yep, got that one down. <laughs> Completely got that one down. Yep, we do. Do you really? If I were to ask you, what does that mean? What does that mean? That's the question. He says something to get you to ask a question. What does that mean, Jesus? And he'll invite you into a journey to wrestle that answer out. What does that mean? Wives, submit and yield respect and honor that is due to your husbands. Ladies are like, yep, got that down. Really? We need to wrestle through the, how do I honor this man? How do I do what you want in this relationship? How do I love her? Not women in general. How is it that I love this woman this woman that you gave me, how do I love this complicated emotional creature? How do I love her? How? You see the process? Your children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be your peace. My children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. Really? How do I teach my children of the Lord? We have to ask these questions. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. I was created for good works with Christ founded before the foundations of the earth. Yes, I was. I was created for good works with Christ as ordained before the foundations of the world. Have you asked him, what are the foundational things that you have created me for? You see, this is what it means to relate to him. This is what he's hungry for from you. He's hungry for it. He wants it. He wants to talk. He wants to, you to wrestle. He wants you to go through this and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and beat on the door till you get the answer. It may take you a while. It may take you a while. <laughs> it may take you a while. I can only share with you one big story from my life, which I'm trying to... I'm, man, God loves, it, God loves you. I don't know if it's because I'm more relaxed because i got more time, but like it's just our water, just, the river just starts moving here in 1130. So not to promote the 1130 over the 10 o'clock, because the 10 o'clock is awesome as well. But keep going. Keep going. Okay. He tells us to plant a church. He tells us to start a church. Well, that's real easy. Oh, yeah. Dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun, as if I know what I'm doing. I have no clue what I'm doing. No clue. I not only know what, not know what I'm doing. You say, well, it's pretty easy, Kevin. One, two, three, four. Is it? Who, who created the church? Whose idea was this? It's his idea. And so 
It sounds like a long time because it was an ongoing question. For two years, I wrestled with the Lord, what is a church? I would read things. I would look at things. I would study things, trying to figure out, because I believe you give Jesus what he wants, and he will pay for it and give you a tip. That's what I believe. And so this is what Jesus wants. I want to give him what he wants. I don't want to do it the way people say I want. This is your calling, so what do you want? How do you want this thing to look? What does this mean? And it's two years of asking the same question until I had this amazing revelation. He didn't give it to me immediately. He won't give it to you immediately. So you know, it is the glory of kings to conceal the matter. Or it is the glory of God to conceal the matter. It is the glory of kings to search the matter out. God's goodness is he hides something from you. Your glory, your goodness is to go and believe God that you can have the answer to what he said. The gold is in the rocks, ladies and gentlemen. You have to find the rock. And you have to break into the ore. And you have to wit labor. And you have to mine for it. But he loves it. You'll be richly rewarded if you would do. That's right. Come on. The word church is rooted in the word ecclesia. In case you didn't know. You know what it means? Uprising. That is what the Greek word means. Uprising. Assembly of called out ones, someone would argue. And I'm like, yeah, but go deeper into the definition. Deeper into the definition. When a society became corrupt, the Greeks called for an ecclesia. An uprising of called out ones who would live in contrast to the world around them. This is what Jesus calls his church. Revolutionaries. Build me a house of revolutionaries. Build me a house of called out ones, Kevin. Build me a culture of people who will not live according to the society and the world around them, but will draw from my culture. That's what he's saying to me. Huh? It's a lot deeper than build me a church. But do you see the depth of the understanding when you will press in for the knowledge? When you will not relent and you will keep coming back to him and he'll give you a little bit? And then you apply that and you go, but that's not enough, Lord. I can tell in my heart that's not enough. And you keep mining for it and mining for it and mining for it and mining for it. And he gives it to you like gold. Like gold. I could tell you other stories. I practice this. If you will understand this as his nature and you will give yourself to it, it's what your father wants. He doesn't want you to walk away from difficulty. He wants you to mine him for the answers. We walk away because we think we're supposed to figure it out. You're not supposed to figure it out. If he tells you to do something, you're, it's not yours to figure out. It's yours to seek him until he shows you how to figure it out. And there's a whole teaching on that. I just had one guy go, man, you should just teach that today. You shouldn't have taught any of this other stuff. But, you know. Anyway, I, go, I digress. I regress. I elevate. So there we are. But we're to live from a kingdom culture. So we have to have the Lord in our life. But as a Christian, we have to have healthy perspectives of God. This is very, 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 very important. Lots of Christians have, have given salvation, but they do not have healthy perspectives of God. God is good all the time. Whether you are experiencing it at the moment or not, he is working his goodness in your life. That is the cornerstone of all belief. All belief is the goodness of God. That's what it is. You say, well, I'm not experiencing God's goodness. We'll stick around here because you'll hear me tell you. We don't base our lives on experience. We base our lives on truth. We pursue truth until truth becomes experience. We pursue his goodness until goodness breaks into our life and that becomes our new experience. We pursue obedience until that breaks into our life. That's right. 
We live our lives based on experience. And we think that experience is reality. No, truth is the reality. You have to break through. You pursue the truth until that breaks through. And now you have a new reality. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> we have to believe that the goodness of God, we have to believe that he is for you. Let's just say it together. Jesus, Jesus. is for me even when I am against myself. That's good news. He's for you even when you're against you. That's awesome. We can go home with that. We were created for his love. God is looking for opportunity to bless you. He is good all the time. He is for you, and he is actively seeking opportunity to bless you. His blessings come when you align yourself with his purposes. You're here this morning. You know what you're doing? You're aligning yourself with the purpose of God in your life. And you know what's happening? Heaven's rain is falling on you. Revelation is being released to you. Blessing is being imparted to your life because he's actively looking for a way to bless you when you will align with his purpose. You receive a blessing because you're here this morning and you're here, it's like churches like pizza, even when it's bad, it's still pretty good, right? Because you're aligning yourself with his purpose, you're receiving his goodness. We have to have a key. We have to develop that relationship with the Lord. We have to press in. And we have to develop relations. We have to deal with ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. The problem why people can't love their neighbors, they don't love themselves. Not love in the prideful, arrogant, I love myself, I'm the best, I'm the you know, ones that the world has been waiting for me since. But loving yourself in a respectful way that where you honor yourself as God would honor you. You see yourself as Christ would honor you. You see yourself in light of his lies. In light of no one else. No one else's opinion of you matters except Jesus's. And he loves you. And when you can walk, come on. That's right. We live our lives based on that. And, what, and one of the things it looks like is resolving your relational dysfunctions. And we all got them. Okay? Don't look at your neighbor. Husband, stop looking at your wife. Wife, stop looking at your husband. Kids, stop looking at your parents. We all got relational dysfunctions. And what does that look like? We align our thinking with the obedience of Scripture, not conforming to this world, but renewing our minds, realizing that life's not about us, cognitively, which means that we take Christ, we take the kingdom, and we focus our creativity, our memory, our decision-making, our filters, and our attitude. Everything is through the kingdom of God. And our conscience, with knowledge, which means intention, we're intentionally aligning our hearts with the kingdom of God. We have to develop this in ourselves. No one can do that for you. The Spirit of God is going to partner with you. It's what he wants to do. It's what he's already working to do in your life. And all you got to do is move into position and he'll help you. We have to resolve our personal dysfunctions. So we resolve our relational dysfunctions with the Lord by lining up with his purposes. We resolve our personal dysfunctions with ourselves. Anybody ever had a splinter in their finger? Right? Anybody ever left that splinter in your finger for a long time? Gets infected, gets nice and sore, okay? Or ladies, maybe you're walking around in your little cute little sandals and you kick something and you break, almost break your toe. Or guys, maybe you're building something in the backyard and you smack your hand on a, on a hammer or burn yourself on a stove. Anytime you get an injury like that, it's amazing to me how now all of a sudden for the weeks to come, you're bumping that thing, okay? You hit your finger with a hammer, everybody's hitting your thumb. Oh, you know, you're touching your thumb and, and your toe. You do something with your toe. Everybody's kicking your toe or touching your toe. And what happens is, is this what happens. We have, we have layers of in our lives where we have splinters and wounds and damage. 
And just like the person that bumps into it, you got a broken thumb, somebody bumps into your broken thumb, and the pain erupts in you, and what do you do? You target it at the person who hits your thumb. What did they do? They didn't do anything except trigger a wound. That's all they did, but you're freaking out on them. Ouch. Right? We have to resolve our relational dysfunctions with ourselves. Wounds, traumas, bitterness, guilts, and shames of our past. We have to resolve them. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's the problem. We're hurting, so we want to inflict hurt on other people. And we actually want them to hurt us back because we want to experience the pain that we're feeling inside. We want to feel justified to hurt and have pain. Hurt people hurt people, and hurt people are easily hurt. If you're hypersensitive in an area, there's a reason. Okay? It's not everybody else, it's probably you. Okay? And I'm going to smile at you, and I'm going to say, my name is Kevin, and I'm your friend. <laughs> Where you are easily hurt and offended or disappointed, those are the areas where your dysfunction lies. Where do you find yourself easily hurt? Where do you find yourself easily offended, Christian? Christians are easily offended. Oh, we get offended. Oh, I'm not talking to that person anymore. I'm not going to that church anymore. Oh, I'm not. So easily offended. What's the issue with you? Oh, it's that church. Oh, it's that person. Oh, it's that guy over there. Oh, no one cares. What, is there an issue where you don't feel valued? Is that the issue? The issue isn't the other person. The issue is you. You have all the value you ever could need. Jesus gives you all the value you could ever want. If you're looking for human value, you're never going to find it. You're going to find yourself bankrupt time and again. So what's the issue? Where are you hurt? Where are you wounded? Where are you offended? What's wrong with you? And it's not what's wrong with you. Jesus wants to fix you. We're all jacked up, so you know. I'll go to the head of the line on that one. So ring the bell. <laughs> Healing comes at the point of pain. Let's just say that together. Healing. Let's say my healing will come at the point of my pain. This is where nobody wants to go, right? You ever go to emergency room? You ever watch like these doctor shows? You see the wheel this guy into the emergency room. He's got like gunshots and, you know, got hit by a car or something. Let's say a guy got hit by a car. He's there. He can't even move. He's got one arm, one arm that can move. And what's he doing with that arm? Fighting everybody off. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. The dude's in pain, he's crippled, he can't even move, but he's fighting everybody off from helping him. Don't touch me, because we don't want to go to the point of pain. We don't want anybody to go to the point of our pain. We actually pretend that there is no points of pain in our life. Oh, happy day. <laughs> Many people have untreated and neglected emotional wounds. And what does that do? It leaves us easily angered, it leaves us in the bondage of insecurity, and it makes us overly sensitive. Untreated emotional wounds. We have to treat the emotional wounds. It's called the restoration of the soul. Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Mind, will, and emotions. God is all about the restoration of your soul. Christians, this is where damage lives. This is where dysfunction lives. Dysfunction lives not in the spirit that's been done away with, not in physical habits, those are only secondary reactions to emotional issues. Mind, will, and emotions. What does that mean? We've got to deal with our mind the way that we think. We take our mind and submit it unto Christ. But I don't agree. He didn't ask you if you agreed. You take your mind and you submit it unto him. You see and think as he thinks with the mind of Christ. 
You take your will. God says, do this. Well, I want to do that. Well, he didn't ask you what you wanted. He told you to do this. We align our will. You see how healing comes? So healing comes through the mind by you aligning it. Healing comes through the will by you choosing it. And the emotion heals. Some, there are areas of emotion that are healed through ministry, spiritual encounter. And then there are areas of emotion that have to be confronted directly. Abandonment. Uh, trauma. Abuse. Pick one. You know, lies that we believe. We harbor lies, citadels of lies. We, har we, put, mon we put fortresses of lies in our hearts. We believe we're no good. We believe God's not good. We believe that this is good for someone else, but not me. I'm never going to make it. I'm never, you know, we, we believe these lies, whatever they may be. There's lots of them. So what does it look like? We have to deal with this. We have to deal with them. So what, first the way is to be aware of it. What does that mean? What areas of your life are compulsive? What do I mean by compulsive? Where you do something and you go, why did I do that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or you, you keep doing it and you're like, why do I keep doing that? Well, clearly you don't want to do that, okay? So it's a compulsive behavior. And if it's a compulsive behavior, then there's a driving force behind the compulsive behavior. And so in order for the compulsive behavior to stop, you have to go and deal with the driving force, the issue behind the compulsive behavior, all right? So that's one. Then there's consistent overreaction, right? This is consistent overreaction, where we overreact. You're in rooms, and I'm in rooms where people are talking all the time, and there's always someone stands up and goes, listen to me! Okay, clearly this person has an issue with wanting to be heard, okay? <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, why is everyone leaving? I don't want to be alone, or, or, or whatever it may be. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's an overreaction. You find yourself overreacting, not occasionally, because we all have bad days, so we could just all have a, have a Cinnabon on that. We all have bad days. I'm talking about a pattern of consistent overreaction. Somewhere in there, there's a wound. You, you're free, just so you know, you're free to live with your wounds. You can live with them. You can live the rest of your life with your wounds. You do never have to adjust them. But if you want to be free, you have to deal with them. You have to deal with them honestly and directly. I got many of them, you know. And why do I talk so much about this? Because I've experienced a tremendous amount of freedom. And I know there's freedom in this. That's why I teach it so often. Or I bring this up, and you'll see this is like a repetitive theme. Oh, Kevin's talking about healing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I am. Why? Because no one else wants to talk about it. I'll talk about it. We all want to pretend we're okay, right? And we got pastors smoking crack and dying and killing themselves and doing all this stuff. Pastors, the spiritual leaders, because no one wants to talk about it. They're not going to talk about it. It's all okay. Let's just put veneer and gloss over it. No, we got issues, man. Well, we need prayer and accountability. I always point to the pastors that fall. You don't think he had prayer? You don't think he had accountability? You don't think he had a disciple? You don't think he had any of that? No, he had untreated wounds within himself that caused him to compulsively behave. And he had untreated wounds in his own hearts that caused him to overreact. And the enemy plays him like a puppet. You have to deal with this stuff, man. And let me just share with you, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. I'd love, I wish it was Shazam. I really do. If you remember the cartoon, Shazam! And the guy turns into a superhero and everything changed in a moment. I wish it was like that, but it's not. It's dealing with little issues at a time. The little foxes that spoil the vine. And you deal with this issue and you're like, huh. Oh, and experience some freedom. Like, wow, I'm really doing better in that area. And then all of a sudden this area starts popping up and you're like, what's up with that, man? Get down. No, it won't get down. Then you got to deal with that. 
Maybe y'all are holier than me. I don't know, but I'm just sharing with you. I want to be free. You know what happens when you clean the garbage out? You know what happens? There's more room for the Lord. The Lord can't fill certain areas of your life. That's right. He can't fill certain areas of your life because it's so stuffed with trash. We have closets that are like that, you know, and we can't even open that closet. I just moved. My garage is like that. I, like, want to tape, tape over my garage door. Do not cross. You know, there's so much stuff still in my garage I got to move and get rid of and everything. We, you know, we, we don't, have, don't have any room for anything else in my garage. It drives me crazy. But that's what happens in our hearts. We have to clear out things within our hearts in order for room. What does this look like? Well, it looks like this. Follow a different model. Find a different model. If, you're, if you have issues with anger, get around and follow and see and visualize and study people who have issues, who have patience, who have kindness, who have overcome their anger, who, you know, learn from them, model them. And how do you do that? You can do it through books. Books are a huge way of mentorship. You can't have coffee with somebody, but you can have coffee with some of these best-selling authors, and all you got to do is open up their book. Follow a different model. That's right. Follow a different model. Get around people who are smarter than you. Get around people who are more healthy than you. It's okay. You will rise to the level of your five closest friends. I guarantee it. Absolutely guaranteed you will rise no higher than your five closest friends. Guaranteed. So what does that mean? You want to go to another level? You better find some people that are another level than you. And that doesn't mean you got to go, you're hanging out with them all the time. That means you better be learning from people that are at a higher level than you. I constantly push myself forward because I want you to grow. I cannot lead you where I have not been, right? And I'm not saying I'm the answer. I'm not saying Jesus is the answer. I'm simply trying to be faithful with the leadership that he's given to me to honor you, to lead you, to bless you. That's the point. Follow a different model. Self-feed, books, get inner healing. Some of you, you need inner healing. You have wounds you have memories, you have traumas, you have beliefs, you have things that are rooted that can only be undone, not through a book, not even through modeling. They have to be done through a process of inner healing. It can't happen any other way. I'm just telling you. Lazarus came out of the, de- out of the grave bound, so you know. Resurrected from the dead in new life, but he was still at his grave clothes on. And Jesus told those around him, help him take his grave clothes off. Jesus didn't take his grave clothes off. A lot of you, you're raised from the dead. Christ has breathed new life in you, but you still, you still find there be a limited amount of motion. You need help. I'm not promoting sozo, but I, we, we throw it out there as an opportunity for you. I promote any of these things, counseling, good spiritual godly counsel consistently. Sozo, it's a process of inner healing. We do sozo. Susie's in the back. She does sozo. There's a sign-up for sozos over there. She'll tell you all about it. It's an add-on. People go, oh, well, counseling's expensive. Really? Try bondage. How's that working for you? That's what married people tell me. Counseling's expensive. I'm like, try divorce. How's that work? Is that any cheaper than counseling? You know? Oh, counseling's expensive. How's your bondage working out for you? Can't keep a job? Right? Relationally dysfunctional? How's that working? Is that costing you anything at all? Just a question. Get whole, Christian. Get whole. Pursue it. Well, that didn't work for me. Okay, then find something else and keep going until you find it. Strike the oil somewhere. Find it. Live out of Jesus' love. I gotta keep I gotta get going. I'm way over. You guys get anything out of this? Okay. I know he wants this for you. 
I, I, know, I know. So I want to encourage you towards it in some way, some shape, some fashion. Others, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, God's brothers and sisters, dwell together in harmony. Harmony, there's an anointing on harmony. There's an anointing, an empowerment, a spiritual flush as upon a harmony. It's like the dew of Mount Harmon on the mountains of Zion. The Lord has commanded his blessing. From where? Everybody say this with me. From there. Come on, from there. The Lord has commanded his blessing. The Lord has commanded his blessing upon unity. The Lord has commanded his blessing upon harmony. He's commanded it. We are to find as much as depends upon us to all peaceably with all people, but we are to bond ourselves. What our problem is is we break the connection. People break the connection with church. Oh, the pastor didn't say hi to me today. I'm never going back there today. Really? Seriously? C.2. <laughs> Deal with yourself. No, but I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> you don't need me to say hi to you. You come and you worship and Jesus is saying hi to you. He's pouring over you. He's bracing you. He's breathing life over you. It's about him. He's the rock star. He's commanded his blessing upon unity. Some of you, you need to be connected and connected to a church. You wander from church to church to church, or you haven't been connected to a church in forever, and you wonder why there's no blessing, because it is from here God has commanded the blessing. All of the blessing flows through the church. That's what I tell people. Oh, I do my own ministry. You need the church. I love it when Christians want to, you, don't, you do not want to talk to me about the church. That is not where you want to go. You do not want to tell me that the church has no value. That is not where you want to go. Oh, I do my own ministry. I'm over here. You need the church. Your ministry cannot function without the church. Why do you want to speak in churches? Why do you want Christians to go and help you? Because to him be glory in the church. It is through the church that Christ does everything. He's not, in case you're here, whoever, he's not building outside ministries. He's building his church. Let's just say it together. He's building his church. Every ministry outside of this is an addition to this. This is preeminent. This is first. And so if you're wondering, oh, well, I don't know, and, you know, and, you know, church this and church that, you're missing it. You're completely missing it. Completely. You are blind, and you will never get it until you understand that his preeminence is through the church. What does that look like? Well, wrestle through the question, Christian. Wrestle through the question. What does it look like for you to commit and connect to the church? Wrestle through the question. Wrestle through the question. He'll answer you. Relationships matter. We value others. Here's a quick, quick couple quick points on relationships. Our relationships are broken because we don't value the other person. We have to value the other person. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, esteem others above yourself. Did he just say that? Yes, he did. Rather in, <laughs> rather in humility, esteem others above yourself. Do not just look out for yourself, but look out after each other. We don't value, have broken relations because we don't value each other. We have to value each other. I value every one of you. Right? I do. I sincerely do. Jesus values you infinitely. And if he values us, then we need to value each other. You say, people annoy me. Find the value in the person. There's no value. Jesus loves them. There's value. There's always value. People will annoy you. <laughs> Still seeds fell on the ground. You give more than you take. This is the second way we have healthy relationships. We value, the pe we value people. We give more than we take. 
Did he just say that? Yes, he did. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop 30, 60, and 100 fold. Jesus says, you cannot give to me and not be outgiven. No, let's say this together because this is healthy. This is a principle. Nobody, Nobody does business with God and breaks even. Nobody. You want to give to me, the Lord says, it goes 30, 60, and 100 fold. I will give more to you. I will give more than you, than you give to me, 100%. Let's just say this together. A generous person will prosper. You want a key to prosperity? There's one being held up to you right now. What is the key to prosperity? Generosity is the key to prosperity. Generous person will prosper, and whoever encourages or refreshes others will themselves be encouraged. There's the keys to the kingdom right there. We add value, we're generous, and we do it first. We do it first. Christianity is a competition to see who can outserve the other. Christianity is a competition to see who can be more generous, right? We go bigger, we go home, huh? That's what we compete with each other over. And we don't be the Holy Spirit. This is actually three, but I'm going to go real fast. What's it mean? Don't be other people's conscience. Nobody likes to be around a person who's everybody else's conscience, right? You ever been around a person like that that they're always your conscience? You going you gonna to do that? You sure? Is that really what you think you should do? Seriously? <laughs> <laughs> Those are not the people you're most attracted to. Let me assure you of that. That doesn't mean there's not encouragement. That doesn't mean there's not accountability. That does not mean that that does not exist in a relationship. But running around and saying, like Jesus says here, you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye. Deal with your own issues. Stop worrying about other people if they're going to R-rated movies or not. Deal with yourself. Relationships require encouragement and accountability. But we have to let Jesus change the person. Encourage him. Listen, hey, when you do this, I'm really encouraged by you. This is a really a great blessing to my life. However, when you said you would do this and you didn't, it really bothered me. This is what it looks like. You gave me your word or I gave you my word. I'm sorry, all this kind of stuff. That's what it looks like. But it doesn't look like running around being everybody's Holy Spirit. If you think, if you think coffee's a sin, don't judge people who drink coffee, okay? And there are people that do that. You're going to drink two cups? Don't you know that caffeine is a vascular constrictor, Pastor? <laughs> Can I get a double right now? <laughs> I'm just saying. Love each other. Love each other. Forgive what you cannot forget. This is big. Wreckage comes from resentment. Brokenness comes from bitterness. How do we do that? Release it to the Father. Just let it go. Principle of releasing and receiving. Learn this, Christian. Very few Christians know this. Learn this. Learn how to release and receive. You want power in the spiritual dynamic? Learn how to release and receive. Release that bitterness, that anger, and you just let it evaporate, and you just give it to the Lord. You say, I can't. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You just let it go. And you receive. Once you sense that's gone, you begin to receive God's peace. You may have to do that five times a day, but you do it anyway. Release it to the Father in all things. We reframe the problem with understanding. You've been sinned, you've been hurt against, or sinned against, you've been hurt, you've been damaged, you've been wounded. People have done wrong to you. Yes, they have. The only way you can have forgiveness is if you have understanding. I don't know if you're aware of that. The only way Jesus was allowed to, the only way Jesus granted forgiveness was with understanding. What did he say? Forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. He attached forgiveness with understanding. The understanding is, is we don't know what we're doing. You got that right. And the second part was God, Jesus was praying and imparting the release to heaven to impart forgiveness on the basis of understanding. 
Under, let's say this together. Understanding, Understanding doesn't make it right, but it makes it forgivable. We can't forgive because we don't understand why it was done. And so we just gnaw on it. But if you can understand, look, that person screwed up. Your father was messed up. That's why he hurt you. You're so-and-so. Your brother is a sinner just like you are. That's why they hurt you. You're a sinner just like everybody else in the world. That's why you hurt other people. We can forgive ourselves if we can understand. We can forgive others if we understand. And then lastly, just let it go, man. Let it go. You may have to change friends, and you may have to make, change your environment and some of this stuff, but nonetheless, you can be free with forgiveness. So here's the question. And I know this is a lot of information. <laughs> I think we're recording it. I hope we are. Did we record this? I think we recorded first service, though. So I know. What areas of your life do you need to be intentional in? You need to be intentional with the Lord, yourself, or with others. And lastly, what steps are you wanting to take today? What have you gleaned from this today? What areas have the Holy Spirit identified to you where maybe there's some questions you need to wrestle with? Maybe there's some things you need to put out there and some steps you need to take. What are they? Act on those. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, this is the very first step of an amazing beginning. This is the first step of a future, a destiny, a hope. And you've never confessed Christ and you say, I don't know if Jesus is in my heart or not. Well, then he's probably not. Because if he's there, you know. You know. If you can't point to a, fa a point where you've received Christ and something shifted in your life, then you're probably not in the faith. The Bible says, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And so we're going to close the service with just an opportunity. I'm going to bless you. We'll have a prayer team available over here as well. If you need prayer for anything, please make yourself available of that. This is just the closing part, and this is one of the most important parts. If you don't know Christ, he's brought you here today for this moment. And all you got to do is open your heart and pray. Give way to your understanding. You won't understand it. Just receive it. Just receive it. Pray with us. Open your heart and just pray and ask Jesus to come. And let's just pray together. Pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. And I open my heart to you today, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you need prayer, come on, we can clap it out.